Good morning, everybody. How we doing? I'll take it. Okay, good. Uh, my name is Matt. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And as Nate brought us into the spirit and season of Advent last week, we are going to continue that. He brought us uh, talking about hope. And today we're going to be talking about joy. Can you say joy with me with a smile? Joy. If you didn't smile, it doesn't count, okay? But we are talking about joy today. And the reason for Advent, this is just a way for the church and for us, especially those who believe that Jesus is the reason for the season, but for all things, this is a way for us to prepare our hearts for him. So today, we're going to be talking about joy. A couple summers ago, we were at Anvil Island. It was my family's first time. It was my wife and my two little girls, and they were three and five at the time. And we pulled up to the camp, and if you've been to Anvil Island, it's just amazing. Like, there's just something about that place. You know that God's there, and something's going to happen. It's just super beautiful. And so I'm seeing this, my wife's seeing this, but my little daughter Lucy, three years old, all she's seeing is something called a banana boat. Have you guys seen this? So it looks like that. She sees, maybe it's like that. There we go. She sees the, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> she sees this banana boat. And she looks at me and goes, Dad, that, we have to ride that. Okay, so we'll ride it. So we make friends with the boat driver, and then while everyone's doing some other activities, he says, hey, now's the time. Does your family want to go? I said, yes. So we get on the banana boat. It's Cat, and, or no, excuse me, Penny in the front, Cat, my wife, you have Lucy, and then myself, so the banana's like, kind of like that. But we're, <laughs> we're ready to go. We're sitting on this thing, and everything is going great. Lucy's excited. Her joy is being fulfilled. See what I did there? She's being fulfilled. She's so excited. And the boat driver said, now in case you tip, just put your hands out of the water so we know you're okay. And Lucy goes, tip? No. 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 And starts to scream. And the boat, you know, just takes off. And she, ah! And I'm, I'm trying to be the cool dad, like, woohoo, you know, she's like, ah, ah. so it's like kind of working, but not really. And so we're going, and we got to see some seals, and we got to see, uh, I think there was a well, I don't know, but we were just going fast. It was great. And finally, she's enjoying it. She's having a great time. The tears, you know, they've wiped away, and she's like, yeah, yeah, just having a great time. But then guess what happened? We tip. And we go underwater, and I remember this perfectly. I look up, and I see, like, how calm everything is in the water. But I see these little legs frantically going. I'm like, what kind of chaos is awaiting me as I come above this water? And I come up, and sure enough, just this three-year-old screaming at the top of her lungs. But she's not just screaming. She's saying stuff. She's like, we're going to die. We're going to die. And she has cat like this, like a death grip. And she has me as well. And we're trying to calm her down. Like, it's okay. It's okay. The boat's right there. There's lifeguards. We're going we're to die. And I'm like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And then I realized something. I'm like, didn't we have two kids on this banana boat? <laughs> Where's the second one? And I look. And Penny is floating away. Now, she's saying the exact same thing. She's like, we're going to die. But she's happy about it. She says, we're going to die. We're going to meet Jesus. This is so exciting, Dad. And she starts unzipping her life jacket to meet Jesus. I'm like, Penny, not today. <laughs> we are not... <laughs> 
meeting Jesus today. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, <laughs> there were clearly two expressions going on there. Yeah, one started out with joy, but then when the chaos came, it was quickly fleeting, and the reality of death kind of took that joy away. But for the other, the reality of death, whoa, we're just starting. Woohoo! Like, joy, we're going to meet Jesus. And I wonder today, when we look at joy, especially when we look at joy in the Bible, we may be surprised what comes along with joy. Let me just read a few verses to you. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. First Thessalonians, And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And in Psalms, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Now, it seems that Scripture focuses on joy quite a bit, but it's accompanied with things that we necessarily wouldn't choose on our own. Trials, affliction, submission, weeping. Now, it's important to talk about joy, especially this time of year. We're gearing up for Christmas, right? And during this time, we have expectations, whether that comes uh, when we think of the word joy, we have expectations around this time of year. Maybe that's due to stories or traditions that we've grown up with. You know, we expect joy in these ways. Uh, our culture tells us to be happy at this time. Movies tell us to be happy. Is anyone, any other husbands forced to watch Hallmark Christmas specials? Just me? Okay, I love it. It's good. Being missional, taking one for the team. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> But all of these things remind us of the joy that we're supposed to be feeling during this time of year, but often it just doesn't measure up. Our reality doesn't measure up to what the world is telling us that we're supposed to be feeling. I mean, we're supposed to have a cozy Christmas with dinners and friends. Our holidays are supposed to be peaceful and drama-free. And if there is drama, don't worry. According to Hallmark movies, when the first snow falls, all the drama just magically goes away. And that's good. But is this the reality that we think exists out there? I, I, th I think we do. We think that, oh, that, that's how it's supposed to be. But our reality rarely measures up. It doesn't compare to the sentimental Hallmark movies that we're watching. And the joy that we think others are experiencing make us feel like we're missing out on something. And we can actually be less joyful this time of year. And that's because... We simply can't find joy by seeking joy. Joy will always be elusive if we try to get joy for joy's sake. Uh, basically, what I want to do today, I want to look at a story from God's Word in John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, uh, I ask you to open that up. John chapter 3, that's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have Bibles for you out uh, out in the foyer. If you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. But we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at John. He has a conflict with some other believers about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And essentially, the state of his joy, where his joy is at. So John chapter 3, it says this, now discussion arose between some of John's disciples. These are people following John. And and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you, Jesus, 
is across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive, receive any, even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So this passage that we just read, it starts with a conflict. John's followers come up to him and say, hey, what you're doing, Jesus is actually doing the same thing. But here's the bad news. Our people are leaving. They're going to him. They're walking that way. They've stopped listening to you, and they're starting to listen to Jesus instead. And there's conflict here. Um, it starts with conflict, like who does it better? Is it Jesus or is it John? Why are people choosing? And there's this comparison situation going on. The people are leaving John, and Jesus' numbers are increasing, and John's are decreasing. And if we're honest, this is the human condition that we deal with, especially during this time of the year. Fear and jealousy are really Christmas emotions for us, are they not? We compare, we look at what other people are doing for Christmas, where they get to go, what gifts they're buying. They're putting them into nicer cars than we own. Uh, their family actually talks to one another. You know, all of these things. And we aspire for the motions, excuse me, we aspire for the emotions that we celebrate here with the Advent candle. We want hope. We want joy. We want love. We want peace. But rarely that's what we're experiencing. We're experiencing fear or jealousy, uh, bitterness, sadness. I mean, could you imagine if like these candles really represented like what we're feeling? And now I light the bitterness candle because I'm not going to talk to my family this year. Like that, it's just a hard thing. Um, but if we're honest, that tends to be where our hearts are because a major thief of our joy is lost. Just as we're seeing in this passage, John, people are going away. We're losing. We're losing. Same with us. Hey, this year, Christmas, we're all here together. But I don't know what the job's going to be like next year. So I, I don't know what finances will look like. Or we're all here together, but you know what? The marriage has been a bit rocky. I don't know what it's going to look like next year. You know, things are going well this year as a student, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for next year. Like, that's what's happening in our hearts we're worried about what's going to come and the loss that we're going to experience. We are afraid of lose, losing things. And because people, because people look like they're doing better than us, so we become fearful and jealous. And people are telling John, hey, Jesus is increasing and you're decreasing. But John's response is not, is not what they thought they were going to get. You know, John wasn't like, oh no, everyone's leaving and going to Jesus, what, what do I do? Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lose my job, and then I'm going to have to go in the wilderness and eat locusts and wild honey. Well, there's not a lot of downside for John. But, uh, uh, but like, oh, all these things are going to be happening. But John responds with joy. He responds with joy, and John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. John has joy in this situation. Why? Because God is in control.
Because the truth is, God blesses and God removes. And whatever he does, it's good. And John knew this and believed this. Sometimes, though, we don't look at God and the way that he does things. We don't look at God this way. Rather, we might see like this, let's say, this cosmic game of volleyball going on between God and Satan, okay? God scores some points, which is great, but then uh, whenever things go bad, that's Satan scoring some points. And so we're losing some points. And so we're like, good, we're, we're excited when things are going, going our way. God's doing good. He blessed me with this. But then when we weren't blessed the way that we thought we were going to be, or we, you know, we didn't receive the ending that we thought we were going to in that situation, we just feel that that's God losing points. But the truth is, if it's good, it's God. But any loss, sickness, or anything that we don't want to be in our lives, we just assume that it's our enemy. We just assume that. C.S. Lewis had a quote here. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. And if that's too gloomy of a quote, here's another theologian, Dolly Parton. In order to get a rainbow, you need a little rain. Isn't that nicer? <laughs> but I don't think we think this way. We don't have a category for the painful best. We tend to think things are given by God. Those are good. And the things that we lose or that we don't get, that's from the enemy. But here, John, statistically, he's losing, okay? When he looks at everything, he's losing. And he says, all of this. Even the gain and the loss, this is from God. And it's actually bringing John closer to God. So the guarantee that we have as we approach a new year is not that God will score all the points that we want him to. Family will be perfect, job will be awesome, happiness will be complete, and Satan won't score any points. But instead, our guarantee is that God is in control of the whole thing. When he gives, that's good for us. And when he takes away, that's also good for us. There will be bad things that happen. Some we're already worried about as the new year comes. Some we don't anticipate at all. But the good news is that God is in control. And especially if you're a Christian, God's promise is that nothing ultimately bad happens to you. So God takes those bad things and works them out for good. And when he subtracts from you, when you aren't blessed the way that you would like to be, he's doing that for a reason, and that is for our good as well. So John is rejoicing because it is being done by God. If we experience fear instead of joy this season, we need to remember that God's narrative, the Christmas story that we are celebrating, we just need to remember this. As Nate brought us into this last week, Isaiah chapter 9 to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government is on his shoulder. God is in control. The things that are happening are not a loss at all. And so John knew that God was in control. As we see uh, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John is not following his own narrative at this point. He's following God's narrative. He knows exactly why he was put on this earth. I'm to bring people to God. And so if Jesus is doing this, God in flesh, this is great. This is my job. Like, let's, the scenario he gives is a wedding. If I'm standing there at the wedding, there is probably 100% chance that the best man is not getting married that day because <laughs> that is not your role. Does somebody like to give the vows? Yeah, I think I'll do it. No, you are the best man. Um, and here's your job. William Barclay, uh, a theologian, he puts it this way. Uh, he describes the role of the best man um, in that early culture. And he says, here's the role of the best man. His duty was to guard the bridal chamber and let no false lover in. Isn't that great? He is to let no false lover in. He would open the door only when he heard the groom's voice and recognized it. When he, when he heard the groom's voice, he went away rejoicing because he knew his job was complete and the lovers were together. He did not begrudge the groom, the bride, he knew his only job was to bring them together. When that task was done, he joyfully and willingly got out of the picture. What John's reminding us and reminding his followers who are telling him about this conflict that he's losing, that he's earthly losing, he says, no, Jesus is the main character when you're looking for joy. Like what's happening here is exactly supposed to be happening. Jesus brings the joy. We don't get it on our own. And like John, we just point to the one who gives. So John says that his role is to get the bride and the groom together. And because of this, he's rejoicing because it's happening. He's not seeing a loss. He's not seeing his ego crushed. He's not seeing his efforts wasted. It's like, whoa, it's true. It's true. This is happening. And this is God's narrative that he invites us into. The government is on his shoulders. All things are on his shoulders, and he makes all things for good. He initiates, he loves, he rescues. He betroths in faithfulness, even when we as a spouse are unfaithful to him. He is faithful. The marriage is on his shoulders. We are not to be the Christ. We are to decrease, and he is supposed to increase. We are to make Jesus bigger and bigger to people. This is where John's joy is coming from. And this is so important because the narrative that we as humans subscribe to, it's not this. What we subscribe to is if we want joy, we actually need to increase and increase. We need the more followers. We need to do things to get people's attention. We need to get the success. So we become bigger and bigger. When I get more of a following, uh, when I get praise, pats on the back, when I become a big deal. When I get to the top of the mountain, that's where I'll find my joy. All the big effort that I've put in. And I wonder how much of our holiday joy comes from us trying to be God. <laughs> we're trying to have everything on our shoulders. But I think we're going to fail. I know I will. And we'll be miserable. And instead of having joy in God's story, we still believe the lie that we can write a better story. We might not say it out loud. We might not want to, you know, um, we won't say it out loud, but we do want the control. We do want the praise. 
Um, we want people sometimes to point to us rather than God because anything less, that's just ordinary. I want people to point to me. Um, you know, and sometimes, especially as Christians, we just don't want to be the ordinary faithful people like John. Yeah, here's my job. Go to him. And sometimes we don't do it. No, actually, listen to what I have to say and then see, see Jesus. Um, but if we really believe Jesus is God, isn't everyone ordinary compared to him? Isn't everything ordinary compared to him, to his beauty, to his love, to his grace? Doesn't everything pale in comparison when we're talking about Jesus? These guys are conflicted. They're like, well, we're losing. Jesus, or John's like, actually, this, this is the most beautiful thing ever. The story's real. The story's true. Um, you know, even with me, man, so many people have said, Matt, you're, you're the happy pastor. You're so joyful. We love it. And I'm like, you know, the only joy that you like in me is from Jesus. I, I hate to break it to you. As I said last time, I'd rather be a blockbuster clerk. <laughs> I'd rather be walking, telling you my opinion on things. <laughs> but it's Jesus's joy that gives me actually something to talk about that has worth, that has value for you and for me. And this is a countercultural message that we decrease and he increases. The message of our world is be awesome and then you'll find your joy. But the message of the gospel is Jesus is awesome and in him you will find your joy. And if I can decrease, he increases and that's where joy will be found. Um, how many have a favorite Christmas movie that you watch around? No? Okay. Guess what mine is? Okay. Uh, Toy Story. A um, couple years ago, they had the 20th anniversary of the first uh, Toy Story, excuse me, <coughs> of the first Toy Story film. Now, spoiler alert, okay, it's been out for 20 years. There's four of them, so I, I hope it's okay. But you have a few main characters in this movie, but one is Buzz Lightyear. What is Buzz Lightyear? Thank you so much. He is a space ranger. Now, in reality, he's a toy. And the other toys are trying to tell him this. But Buzz Lightyear says, no, I'm a space ranger. I was designed to protect the galaxy, what is it, Zerg or whatever? Yeah, from the emperor and whatever. I'm here to protect, that's what I do. And other toys are telling him, no, actually, you're, you're a toy. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a child's plaything. And he's like, no, I'm a space ranger. And so it's good. But then there's a pivotal point in the movie where, you know, Buzz is trying to live out his narrative, that he is a space ranger. But then something happens. He sees a commercial where there are not just one, but thousands of Buzz Lightyears. And he looks at it and goes, oh, maybe I'm not the space ranger I thought I was. Maybe there's more of us. Maybe I'm not as unique as I thought, uh, and he doesn't know what to do at that point. And there was a BBC article that came out uh, uh, during the 20th um, anniversary, and they wrote this, and this was interesting. The article is called The Dark Side of Toy Story. And here's what he writes, uh, commenting on this scene where Buzz finds out that he's like one of thousands. It says this, at this moment of the film, where Buzz realizes that there are others just like him. In 99 out of 100 movies, Buzz Lightyear would then assert his independence. 
He would declare that it was up to him whether he was a toy or not, and he would race off into the sunset, bellowing his battle cry to infinity and beyond. But in Toy Story, that option is never mentioned. Buzz immediately puts all, thing, uh, all things of saving the galaxy behind him to get on with returning to his master, Andy. So if the message of most Hollywood entertainment is, you can be anything you dream of being, the message of Toy Story is, no, you can't. Now, I just think that's funny that this, uh, uh, yeah, this contributor thinks that's the dark side of Toy Story. That Buzz Lightyear wouldn't assert himself to be the hero, but that he would just go back to the one who loves him. Like, that, that doesn't work. And it's like, can, yeah, I guess maybe that sounds like a bizarre message. Maybe that sounds like a bizarre. And what he's writing is this. How dare Hollywood tell us that we're not the hero? How dare people tell me that I can't write a better story? Um... But John says over and over that he is not the Christ. He didn't write the story. For us to believe, uh, for us to believe God's story, this is a bigger deal than we might realize. Yeah, we might say we believe, but it is a bigger deal than we realize. Because how can we have joy in Christ even when circumstances around us aren't joyful? How do you do that? Well, John, as we see, John emptied himself, but he also filled himself with Christ. And he says this, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. For he whom God sent utters the words of God. And there we will find joy as well. Oh, excuse me. What John's saying here is, hey, to you, you're looking with eyes of earth. You're seeing this as a loss that people are leaving, but for me, I'm looking through the lens of God's story. People are going to God, and that is where they'll find joy. And how do I get this? I get this from Jesus' words. And why do I trust it? Because it's the words of God. What John's sharing here is his narrative is not just narrative, it's a relationship. He's saying, I know him. I know him. And he knows the Father. It's him. And I wonder with us, when we tell people our narrative, I love that we do that here at our church. We listen to the narratives that are going around us and our friends and our coworkers and our family. We listen to those narratives. And then we share our narrative. And then we share God's story. We share his narrative. And sometimes this can be a difficult thing to do. If we're just maybe just quoting it instead of living it. If we think, yeah, that's true, but I get to play a big part too, right? I, I get to be the space ranger. You know, I, I, that, that's kind of me. But if you know how good God is, if you know his love, his grace, the thoughts he has for you from his word, he's not keeping it a secret. If you would know the links that he went to for you, it would be easy to adopt his story. Knowing that, yes, there will be pain, even suffering, 
discomfort in this life. But with Christ, I get joy. I don't have to do that on my own. As we close with this verse, and I'll invite the worship team to come up. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you wouldn't mind, could you just close your eyes with me? Don't fall asleep, but if you could just close your eyes. There are a lot of narratives, especially during this Christmas season, that we can trust and that we can follow. Those of tradition, those of hopes, plans that we have. But just as John shows us today, there is a narrative that has been going on since the beginning. There is a God who loves you. He made you. And it brought him joy. And because you're made by him, it actually brings you joy. You're wired for this joy. But so often, because we're creative beings and sinful beings, we want to write our own story. And instead of finding our significance and our safety and everything in God, just as John was saying, everything, all of this is from God. We tend to just write another narrative. And friends, I just want to remind us today, if joy is the narrative we're looking for, we're not going to find it. We're not going to find it fully. But in God's narrative, this is where we will find joy. Why? Because we find God in this narrative. We find the only one that can give. So Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for a better story. Lord, in this room, I know there are many narratives represented. There's a lot of joy, but I believe there's also some sadness, some jealousy, bitterness, uh, just even we may think that we're failures. And these are the narratives that we deal with. And Lord, when problems come into our life, we just throw that into that narrative. And it just adds up, adds up. And the very thing we're trying to get is the one thing that's elusive. But God, if it's your narrative, if it's established by you, given by you, if it's the solid ground that we're actually looking to stand on, God, I pray that whatever is stopping our heart, whether that's comparison or jealousy or even self-doubt, God, may we listen to your story yet again. May we see the role that we have. Yes, we point to you, but we're also loved by you. And so, God, I pray that you would be with us this Christmas season. God, that we wouldn't be looking for joy, but we'd be looking for you. And when, when you're there, when we know you, joy will be there as well. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.